Coming back to Malachi, this evening we're going to consider dishonouring God. We should be honouring God, but uh, we see in our passage tonight an example of dishonouring God. Our passage is Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through to 8. Let's just look at those few verses again. A son honoureth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honour? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Last week, when we looked at the second verse of this book of Malachi, it was seen that the very first thing that the Lord said through his messenger Malachi to Israel was that he loved them. He loved Israel. He loved the nation of Israel. In response, the people revealed something of their ingratitude and their rebellion against the Lord. Let's have a look at verse 2 again. It just continues really, from what we saw last week. Look at verse 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. That's the first thing that the Lord says there through his messenger. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? What a question to ask the Lord. Wherein have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. Jacob is the father or was the father of the tribes of Israel. His twin brother was rejected by the Lord. Jacob he loved. The Lord loved. And he showed so much favour favour to Israel. And yet they said, wherein hast thou loved us? At the time of receiving those words of love from the Lord, Israel was under Persian rule. It was about 400 BC. The temple had been rebuilt and temple worship had been reinstituted. Today, our attention will be turned in particular to the priests. Having declared his love for Israel, the Lord had some very strong words to say to the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. Look at verse 6. A son honoureth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honour? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? <clears throat> it's not for nothing, it's, and it shouldn't be surprising to see that the, the, the very 
first grievance of the Lord was aimed at the priestly class. After all, it was their responsibility to represent the people before God, to to offer gifts, to offer sacrifices on the altar for the sins of the people and, of course, for their own sins. But they failed miserably to honour the Lord in their capacity as priests. First of all, in his charges against the priests, God used the analogy of a father-child relationship. God was a father to Israel. I'm not necessarily used to that. I'm very, very, by the grace of God, I'm used to the idea of God being my father. And so are you if you're a Christian. It's, it comes very easy for you to address God as father, I trust, when you're praying to him. But he was, in a sense, a father to Israel. For example, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God referred to Israel as his firstborn. For all that, the priests and Israel, whom they represented before God, did not honour God as their father. They did not live in obedience to him. Neither did they honour him. Instead, their idea of worship exposed their contempt for the Lord. It's quite an easy one for us to understand because we, we can think about a, a, what would be an ideal father-son-daughter, uh, father-daughter relationship. And we see none of that with Israel here. None of that with the priestly class. A father-son relationship. Although God was indeed a father to them. Also the Lord used the analogy of servants who fear their masters. Far from fearing their master, the Lord of hosts, who is a consuming fire. It is written in verse 6 that the priests despised his name. I've said this many times, we are to fear God. To have a... A a fear for him. This is what the Bible teaches. God, the Lord is to be had in reverence by all who are about him. He is to be feared. Holy and reverend is his name. How very different those priests were to a godly man whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright one who feared God and shunned evil. I've quoted the very first verse of the book of Job. I'll say it again, this description of Job. Blameless, upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. I'd love it if that was said about me, by the way, wouldn't you? But anyway, that's what was said of Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, he said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He'd lost everything. He'd lost his family, his sons, his daughters. He'd lost his fortune, and by the standards then, he would have been a multi-millionaire. 
He lost his health. He was reduced to sitting in the dirt, scraping his boils with bits of broken pottery. He lost the lot. And still he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. In contrast to Job, who feared the Lord and blessed his holy name, the priests in Malachi's time despised the name of the Lord, as can be seen in their priestly service, or rather in their disservice to the Lord. Their hearts were so hardened and blinded by sin that they were oblivious to it. They they seemed to be oblivious to it. How else would you explain it? Uh, Look at the end of verse 6 again. Wherein have we despised thy name? That blindness in their hearts, it's the same as verse 2, isn't it? Wherein hast thou loved us? Israel asked the Lord. Looking at verses 7 through to 8. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Details are given in those verses of various ways in which the priests demonstrated that they did not fear the Lord and they despised his name. The fact that they offered defiled or polluted food upon the altar showed that they held that they held the name of the Lord in contempt. The divine requirement under the Old Testament law was that the lamb placed upon the altar should be without spot, without blemish, the finest of the flock. And it stands to reason, doesn't it, the very best for the Lord. But the priests had lost the sense of what worship means in that they retained the finest of the flock for themselves and they brought to the altar that which was contemptible thereby showing their contempt for the Lord. Again, it stands to reason, doesn't it, if they present not even second best to the Lord, that's exactly how they view the Lord. Their offering was contemptible, thereby showing contempt for the Lord. The contempt shown by the priest was nothing new. For example, going back about 600 years earlier to the time of Eli the priest, his two sons who were priests, also behaved shamefully with regards to the animal sacrifices in that they took the choicest cuts for themselves. Interesting, we are ex- interestingly, we are explicitly told in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 that they knew not the Lord, the two sons of Eli, priests, priests of the Most High God, yet they knew not the Lord. It makes sense in a way, doesn't it? Um, 
keeping the choices cuts for themselves. We can apply the same thing all those years later to the priests in the time of Malachi, the contemptible uh, offerings to the Lord. What does it say about the relationship that they had? That they knew not the Lord. Whether you are considering the sons of Eli in 1 Samuel or this passage in Malachi with the blind, the lame and the sick offerings of the priests, it all amounts to the same thing. That they knew not the Lord even though they had that outward show of religion and holiness and godliness. They were priests after all. They had they had the clothes and they, they had everything outwardly to make you think that they knew the Lord. Although God was their Lord, they feared him not. Consequently, they were irreverent, they were disobedient to the Lord with regards to their offerings, and no doubt with regards to everything else. It wouldn't have just stopped with the offerings, it would have been their daily life. They would not have been people who had any interest in honouring God. When it comes to fearing God, I like what Spurgeon said. For example, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, it is written, that's the chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, it's written, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Of that verse, Spurgeon said, there is an unholy fear which is cast out by perfect love, but there is a holy fear, a filial fear, That means a a fear that a son or daughter should have for his father. A filial fear which dwells most happily with faith. So was it with Noah who by faith moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You see faith and fear can live in the same heart and they can work together to build the same ark. Faith and fear are very sweet companions. When the fear is filial, fear, a holy dread of disobeying God. When we are moved with that fear, our faith becomes practical. When you consider what Spurgeon said, can you see that faith is key to fearing God and living in obedience to him? As Spurgeon said, Noah's faith produced his fear. So the faith came first. The faith produced the fear. His faith and his fear produced his obedience. All of those things were absent from the nation of Israel and from the priests. The faith, the fear and the obedience. We don't see any of it in those verses. I don't just think, I know 
that within the visible church, there are many who do not fear the Lord. And they have no interest in living righteously, righteously, soberly, godly in this present world. And that is because they have no saving faith and their Christianity is a sham. Even if outwardly they are super Christians. Though these people profess Jesus as their saviour and their Lord, they do not possess him. Their offerings are contemptible. As Jesus himself said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You've got to remember, before I carry on with this, I've just thought about it myself, you've got to remember that if you are a professing Christian, you are professing to be a priest of the Lord of hosts, okay? I think that's significant, that you claim to be a priest of the Most High God. Let me carry on. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Jesus is of course the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So not just a few, but many, many people Not just saying Lord, but saying Lord, Lord, as if they really know God. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. That's got to be one of the most sobering passages in the Bible. And if you want to pick the most sobering verse in the Bible, it's got to be that verse where Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. As for what it means to do the will of God the Father and to do the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ, because they're both in that passage that I just read to you, doing the will of God the Father, doing the sayings of the Lord Jesus It has to start with repentance towards God and believing that the Lord Jesus Christ offered the perfect sacrifice for your sins upon the altar when he offered himself. A lamb without spot and without blemish. That's where it all starts. A a, a faith that is real 
believing that Jesus did those things. It means taking refuge under the shadow of his wings and trusting in him for salvation from your sins and for everlasting life. This is doing the will of God. Also, doing the will of God does not mean living in sinless perfection. You'll be pleased to hear. But it does mean having the sinless perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ credited to your account and being clothed with his righteousness. Such people are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. With all that in place and with the enabling of the Holy Spirit whom God gives to all his children, they seek to do that which is pleasing in the sight of their heavenly father, their father whom they have that filial fear for. No one else is going to have a filial fear of God. It's just the Christian, or at least it ought to be. Each and every Christian. And your father is pleased to accept your sin-tainted offerings as an earthly father is pleased to accept, shall we say, a very interesting piece of Art Nouveau from his toddler who presents it to him as some kind of masterpiece. God accepts these things. Remember, when you belong to Jesus, when you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, when you're clothed with his righteousness, you you are accepted in the beloved. I don't think you, I, you, can even begin to appreciate the love that God has for his children, his redeemed even though we, we, we can spend forever more thinking about the cross, what took place on the cross, that greatest manifestation of love ever. But even then, we don't really know anything about the magnitude of the love of God for us. Dear Christian, Those priests of old treated the Lord of hosts shamefully in their worship. They considered the altar of the Lord contemptible instead of offering it uh, upon it the very best as demanded in the law. They showed their contempt by bringing the blind, the lame and the sick, a thing that should never have been done and and as we read in the passage they would never have done that for for an earthly governor they wouldn't have dared to the governor would have been extremely displeased at such an insult and he would have rightly punished them may it be your heart's desire and your prayer to your heavenly father to present your body a living sacrifice. Again, you are a priest of the Most High God if you're a Christian and you too are to make sacrifices, offerings to God. May it be your desire and your prayer to present your body a living sacrifice to God. Holy, acceptable to him. That is your reasonable service. 
That is your act of worship. But that desire and that prayer contains a paradox. Since when is a sacrifice a living sacrifice? Sacrifices are dead, are they not? The Lord Jesus Christ, he laid down his life at the cross for those he came to save. And yet you are to present yourself a living sacrifice to God. How can that be possible? It can be possible, indeed it is possible, if you truly belong to Jesus. For you have died, you really have died in the sense that you are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless you live, yet not you, but Christ liveth in you. And the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith of the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. May each one of us who profess the name of Jesus be people who honour him with the enabling of the Holy Spirit, seeking God's grace every moment of the day. But we thank God, all said and done, that he sent his son into this world to save sinners. People like us. I don't know, there's people in here, no doubt, who um, treat God with contempt. Whoever they are, the first thing we need to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. That was the message of the New Testament. Repent. That was the message of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus That's the message throughout. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.